We turn now to that new production we just mentioned. Waylon Lenk is the inaugural Native Artist Scholar-in-Residence at Lewis and Clark College. He directed a new version of Henry IV Part I that was written by the Native playwright Yvette Nolan. The play runs through this Saturday at Lewis and Clark. Yvette Nolan and Waylon Lenk, welcome. Thanks so much. So, Waylon Lenk, first, for those of us who have either forgotten or never knew, just briefly, what is Henry IV Part I about? It's about uh, war and leadership. So King Henry IV has created a situation by overthrowing the last king in which uh, heredity plays no factor in who gets to be king, just military competency. So we've got Hotspur and the Percy family who are trying to kill him to become king. And he's trying to cultivate a respectable heir in Prince Hal, who, meanwhile, is goofing off with his buds and the boar's head. <laughs> a bar. Which is a bar. Yeah. Yvette Nolan, what attracted you to this particular play? I uh, I really thought I loved the idea of how we make our leaders and how, who's hanging out in the boar's head pub with his pals being a reprobate, um, eventually becomes the leader. He becomes the next king. But it's like... Uh, I thought that I, I thought that this was a kind of a heroic story about becoming a leader and how we step into leadership. But it turns out what I discovered over the course of translating the play is that Hal's a bit of a jerk. Hmm. In, a, in a way that's juicy from, from the perspective of, of somebody in theater. Of, of course, because, you know, those guys are always more interesting than like bright shining stars. There has to be conflict. And, you know, he's a really great sort of example of it. He's doing things that princes should not be doing, like taking part in robberies and, you know, doing playing, just really hanging out in the in the pub uh, when he really should be preparing for leadership. And, yeah, that's what appealed to me about. Plus, it has Falstaff, who is like one of the great characters in all of the canon in the Shakespeare canon is he's in several plays and uh, he's, he's got some of the best lines, I think. Hmm. You use the word translating when, when I, I guess if I just, if someone said, what does translating mean? I would have said taking something from one language and putting it into a, a totally different language, but that's different in some respects from what you're doing. So can you describe how you approach the task in front of you. Yeah, it is really like taking it from one language, which is an English that was uh, common 400 years ago and translating it to an English that is that people now speak. Mm. So there is a, it is translation in a sense. But for me, approaching the text was about how do I make this clear to a 21st century audience? How do I, how do I, like, what is getting in the way of them staying with the story? Because we all know people who go to Shakespeare and when the parts, when the language gets really gnarly, they are, they check out and they start making grocery lists or fall asleep. And I just didn't want that. I wanted people to be so inside the story that they just kept going. So I took out all the you know, the archaic jokes, I didn't take them out. I just translated them to like jokes that people will understand in 2020, you know, whatever, 2023 now. Um, that's the kind of translation it is. And references that made sense 400 years ago, that will now make sense 
it's, you know, right now sitting in Portland in the theater watching Wayland's production. Can you give us a sense just for um, briefly of the original language and and what you changed it to for, for you know, any part that, that stands out to you? Oh, geez, I'd have to think about that. Wayland, do you have something at your fingertips? I sure do. So the, the first few lines that sometimes people get a little cranky about, uh, so the Shakespeare is, so shaken as we are, so wan with care, finally a time for frighted peace to pant and breathe short-winded accents of new broils to be commenced in strands afar remote. And the Nolan is, exhausted as we are and worn with care, and even as we catch our breath from war, yet let us turn our sights on battles new, soon to be fought in far-off foreign lands. It is, it makes, it's a lot easier to understand, I have to say, as a 21st century um, American or English speaker, the, the, the newer version. Um, Waylon, and I'd, I'd, actually, I'd love to get both of your thoughts on this, but it is... It's hard to think of an English language author who is higher in the the pantheon of dominant culture. I mean, a dominant white culture that has, you know, subjugated people of color and indigenous people around the world. Um, And at the same time, he is somebody who has given us indelible language and stories. How do you reckon with all that is Shakespeare as a native artist? You want to start on this one, Yvette? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, my mother was in residential school in Canada, uh, two residential schools. And what she, you know, for better or for worse, what she got from residential school was a love of learning. She And so she had me when she was very young. She married my father right out of residential school. And... We grew up learning things together. And what she taught me was that language is power. And you just said, he's like, he's the preeminent guy, Shakespeare. And when I was a child, a toddler, we watched a Julius Caesar, uh, a production of Julius Caesar, because we were both learning the language. And I, that's the thing I... I want it. I want power over the language because you have power over the language. You have power in the world. Mm. You can make people see and understand, which is, I guess, why I'm translating Shakespeare. Um, My mother knew that. She spoke Algonquin and then she spoke French and then she spoke English. Uh, She had three languages and she knew that that having power over language was was currency in the world. Hmm. Waylon Link, what about you? How do you... Think about Shakespeare. Uh, I mean, I go back and forth and back and forth. So when I initially encountered theater at all, it was through Shakespeare and started doing theater. And so his works have had overall a positive effect on my life. And yet he's not the only playwright ever. I mean, we have so many fantastic Native playwrights, and we should be doing our work, plays by Native playwrights, which in this instance, we are doing. Uh, we're, we're getting a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Hmm. But there's also the, uh, the aspect of access. So in English language theater, throw a stick and you're going to hit Shakespeare. 
Like if you want to be a theater professional, Shakespeare is going to be something that you are going to have to do at some point, unless you make a very definite choice not to, and then to accept the consequences to your career that that would entail. So I think for Native artists, just being able to do Shakespeare and to be able to handle the particular genres in which Shakespeare works and the particular uses of language, I mean, it's, it's a sensible career thing. Hmm. Wayland, sticking with you, um, I'm curious how your understanding, and my understanding is you and Yvette have worked on this play t- together on and off for, for a number of years now. But what has, has working with stu- the student cast now at Lewis and Clark, has it given you a new lens to look at this work that you must know very well already? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, first of all, this is the first time that we've got it on its feet, right? So we've had a number of readings starting back in, well, we started working on this in 2015. Uh, so our first reading might have been in 2016. Yeah. Uh, but with the uh, the students uh, and on this production, one of the things I, I knew that we were dealing with was elements of gender and what happens when the state is so heavily invested in militarized masculinity. Hmm. What I've been finding in this production and working with these these student actors is just how very queer this play is. And not even in subtext. I mean, there is subtext, but also overt things. Uh, Hotspur has a very erotic relationship with the idea of how. Uh, there is, there's an insinuated, uh, queer through line in the boar's head. Uh, so the boar's head is where Hal can retreat to be outside of this militarized masculinity that he then invests himself heavily in after he meets his dad. Uh, so these, these are the themes that have been really arising for me as I work on this play with this cast. Hmm. Yvette, what about you? What are you hoping that audiences will be thinking about on the way home, say, after they see your production? I I guess I think I want them to think about many things. One is the is how we elect our leaders, how we how we how responsible we are um, to the people who lead us. I want them to think about, you know, domestic politics versus uh, Henry four is, is also about like making war a way to sort of cover up your domestic problems at home. And that's, uh, that's a thing I think we're all grappling with right now. And I, and just the, you know, the joy of, language, the joy of like a clear story, clear, clearly told, kind of galloping along. These are the, like, these are the things that, you know, the theater, we get the theater together, we breathe together and our hearts beat together. And, and that's a community experience. Hmm. Yvette Nolan and Waylon Link, thanks very much. Thanks so much for having us. Yvette Nolan is playwright, translator for the new production of Henry IV Part One, which you can see through Saturday 
at Lewis and Clark College. Waylon Link directed the play. He's a Shakespeare scholar. He's also the inaugural Native Artist Scholar in Residence at Lewis and Clark College. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation.